media and Blue Ion, this is the way out there. Conversations and stories about the relationship between people and the outdoors. We interview outdoor leaders, teachers, guides, and everyday individuals who have answered a call to step into the vast beauty out there. By hearing their stories, we hope you'll be inspired to go way out there yourself. Matt Moreau is the owner of a screen printing company in Greenville, South Carolina called Dapper Inc., as well as a growing outdoor brand called The Landmark Project, which creates beautiful works of art in the form of t-shirts and other various goods that celebrate the outdoors with illustrations that highlight hundreds of parks and landmarks from all over the nation. You've likely seen their designs and products stocking the shelves of your local outdoor store, or maybe on the racks of places like REI. In this episode, we'll talk about how The Landmark Project first got its start designing outdoor apparel, and how it grew from three initial designs into a nationally recognized brand. We'll also discuss the importance of sustainable practices in the garment manufacturing industry, the role consumers play in shaping trends, and how aside from just making ridiculously soft t-shirts, the Landmark Project has been able to use its platform to donate over $35,000 in counting towards the U.S. Forestry Service and other outdoor-related causes. This one's going to be a fun one, so sit back and let's get way out there. All right. Well, Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast today, joining us on the way out there. Uh, super excited to get to talk to you again. Kind of chatted uh, multiple times over the years that I've known you uh, about business stuff, about the outdoors, uh, about the Landmark Project and things that you're doing. But excited to sit down with you again and kind of get this on the podcast for everyone else to hear as well. Just to get started, I'd love it if you gave us a little rundown of the Landmark Project, kind of how it got started. But first, I wanted to ask, if you were a national landmark, which <laughs> national landmark would you be? Oh, man. If I was a national, this, is this natural landmark, or are we, are we including monuments? It's whatever you feel, man. Whatever, whatever, you, whatever I feel. Whatever you connect with the most, I guess. Okay, so... The, there, there's a, a funny way to answer the question, I'm sure, but I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is just like Half Dome, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's the landmark within the landmark. It's, it's the best landmark within the best national park, in my opinion. And I did a t-shirt for Half Dome uh, for the brand Royal Robins a long time ago, and, mm-hmm. and we illustrated Half Dome in such a way that uh, the caption didn't say anything about the place. It just said, make a lasting impression. And I, I like that because we were talking at the time about the life of Royal Robbins, who was the first person to climb Half Dome. And in a way, he was also the one who pioneered clean climbing in the United States. So Royal himself left a lasting impression on the climbing industry. And he left a lasting impression on the outdoor industry altogether. But if you've ever been to Yosemite National Park before, you are greeted by Half Dome as you drive into the valley for the first time. And it's not something you forget easily. It's actually the, the phrase leave a, make a lasting impression came to me because um, <laughs> at the end of your vacation, you always kind of want to take one last look at Half Dome before you like turn yeah. turn out of the park the last time. You kind of want to pull over the car and and take one more look. And that's kind of, I feel like that kind of wraps up 
everything I want to do with the brand mm -hmm. and myself and my team is we just we want to leave a lasting impression in the industry and we want to leave our mark somehow in one way or another. Yeah. Well, that's one heck of a way to start the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the rest so, of it won't be nearly yeah. as good. <laughs> well, like I said, I would love if you just kind of get into it with how the landmark even came to be in the beginning. I know a little bit about the story, but for everyone else, uh, can you give a quick rundown of, I guess you'd have to go back to Dapper uh, and yeah, how so, Landmark was birthed out of that. So uh -huh. if you wanted to touch on that. So I went to art school and I learned how to screen print and illustrate. And I had always seen myself as working in the publishing industry, um, doing illustrations, working for an art director. And I had gotten a lot of joy out of doing that. In the years after school, I decided um, that I really wanted to try to find a way to combine my love of print and design and illustration with my hobbies, which would be outdoor recreation. Um, and I also really enjoyed kind of the golden age of travel design. Some of the, the travel posters that you see from like WPA era and um, drew a lot of inspiration from those pieces and decided to kind of build my personal portfolio on a very micro local level here in the upstate of South Carolina. Um, there was a real lack of diversity in the products that you could buy from an outdoor store in this area. Everything was pretty um, generic, mm -hmm. to say the least. So I wanted to bring kind of the specialness of custom art to the local outdoor enthusiasts. And at the time, we had a very small print shop called Dapper Inc. And we did a lot of business-to-business -business work. And this was a way for me to, um, to kind of stop working so much for clients on their artwork and actually kind of uh, do art projects that gave me a lot of joy and were something that were in my field of interest. So um, one thing led to another and we created three unique designs for the local area. Very, very small landmarks. You have to live in the Greenville, South Carolina area to know where these places are or to have ever heard of them. But the local community really responded so well to them that it gave us an idea that maybe this is something that we should grow the radius to include uh, some other national state landmarks, for lack of a better word. We don't limit ourselves just to national parks. Um, and, and see if we can kind of reproduce the success that we had on a local level on a more national level. So in true like over ambition fashion, we picked our favorite national parks that we had all been to before <laughs> and just started designing for them. Yep. We, we didn't have a plan of who we're going to sell it to and we didn't even have a plan for how we're going to tell our story yet we just knew we like these places we we love visiting the parks we love any form of outdoor recreation whether it be backpacking mountain biking day hiking anybody you know anybody can enjoy being outside and we decided we're going to try to tell the special nature of these parks through illustration and at the time dapper inc was as the umbrella company 
uh, selling these shirts under the name. These are the Landmark series. This is our Landmark collection. So we also had other collections that we were, we were peddling at the time at uh, little outdoor markets and trade shows and that craft fairs that outdoors that, related, right? Or, that weren't okay. outdoors related. So this was one of our interests that we were designing for, and just the the enormous response that we got to this collection in particular, it it really told us that we need to prioritize what we're doing for Landmark and kind of put a little bit more of our energy in that uh, part of our business. And we still do a lot of the business-to-business work for Dapper Inc. And Dapper Inc. still exists and is growing as well. But Landmark is getting all the creative love right now, which is something that I truly enjoy. Yeah. So how long into running Dapper Inc. and, and screen printing shirts did this idea come along? Like how many years were you already in business doing other projects that weren't outdoor related? So we, we were in business for about six years. Six years? Yeah, I started Dapper Inc. when I was in grad school and the humblest of beginnings. So imagine a small DIY print press in the loft of our, our, our first home and most people start in the basement. Most start people in start the in the basement. We start in the loft. It's more natural <laughs> light up there. And we, we joke about it, but our air filters, we had to change them every week and they were just whatever color of t-shirts we were printing that week. That's the color that <laughs> our air filters were in our house. So it, it was the humblest of beginnings for the first three years. And then we had about three years where we started our first brick and mortar so that we could actually meet with clients. We could have interns. We could grow the business beyond something that exists just in a house. And it was three years into the brick and mortar that I, I think I reached kind of a low point in uh, what I would call like my first burnout, mm-hmm. creative burnout, where... Uh, we, we had a successful business. It was a growing business, but I wasn't doing anything that I was passionate about. Okay. I wasn't passionate about screen printing and designing for other people. I was happy to do it. It was a great way to provide for my family and to provide a few entry-level jobs in Greenville. And it was nice that I could do something in my field of study, but it wasn't the subject matter that I cared about in the least bit. Okay. And this was... You were doing 100% of just screen printing orders for others that came in. There, You didn't have a line that was your own type of product at that time? Or? No, we, we dabbled a little bit in retail just because we had the brick and mortar, but we never had a significant collection of Dapper Inc. merchandise that I would consider um, kind of how we would have gotten our start. Other than that, we were just screen printers. And we had a lot of artists that worked for us and that kind of cut their teeth on or in our business before, mm-hmm. they, before they went out and did other things. So not only were they artists, not only was I an artist, but we were, a lot of us, outdoor enthusiasts as well. So when we weren't screen printing, we were outside enjoying the natural areas around Greenville. And I think that is really what kind of gave us the idea, why don't we take our interests outside of work and apply them to our trade. And that's when we start. It, it all kind of started to click for to us. Mesh. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't have a background necessarily in the outdoor industry yet. It was just kind of, 
your hobbies, your interests, you liked that sort of thing? You didn't have That's correct, a yeah. foothold in the door yet? No, and I, I, I definitely looked at the outdoor industry and wanted to be in it. I yeah. always thought that was a really cool... Um, it was a really cool place to to work. It seemed like all the brands that I really respected had great culture, and it was really inspiring to me. I, I always thought it would be neat to be able to run kind of a blue-collar manufacturing business like Dapper Inc. is as an outdoor industry brand. Mm-hmm. So kind of having that in the back of my mind really, really pushed me in the direction yeah. of, of actually creating... A, a brand that is relevant to the outdoor industry and then treating our business as such. Yeah. And so the first three designs you said, what were those that were local landmarks? We did Jones Gap State Park, okay. Lake Jocassee, and the third was Table Rock. Table Rock. Yeah. I'm actually wearing the Jocassee shirt right now. Oh, yeah? Underneath my jacket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was my first initiation to landmark was okay. I saw it at the Indie Craft Parade, mm-hmm. and I think you had a little booth and some shirts when I first moved to Greenville. And uh, so that was when I first kind of caught the bug of, of the Landmark Project and started collecting some shirts, and I love my like, Joe Cassie shirt. Um, is that how you first started getting the word out, was events like Indie Craft, or were you going door-to-door to retail spots, or what was marketing in the early days of getting <laughs> the Landmark Project out? Marketing in the early days was uh, is word of mouth pretty much. Yeah. We we and, and I'll back up. I actually think those three designs they're really special to me because they are I think the truest form of creative expression for me because they all started with an experience in those places. You had and been to those had places. been to those places. Yeah. Those places meant a lot to me, and I had been there enough to where I could pull out a a notebook and just draw them from different perspectives that I remembered them from. So I think a lot of that free flow creativity uh, really made those three designs something special. And we haven't been to every landmark that we have a design for, but most of them, somebody on our crew has been there. And to, to really pass the test, it needs to feel like that place. It needs to have an element of the intangible where yeah. you can say this this feels like being there and nothing really encapsulates that like the early collections of prioritizing the places that we have been but to answer your question about marketing a sales rep who just happened to be at this event came by our booth and we knew of him we were friends like acquaintances at the mm-hmm. time and he was representing a few other outdoor brands in the industry. And he looked at our assortment and he said, I think there's potential here to sell this to local retailers. And I'm about to hit the road and show them some other product lines. Do you mind if I snag one of these off your table? See what they think. Yeah. Maybe there's a wholesale model here. And I had never really considered that. I, I never really thought... I want these to sell anywhere except our store. Mm-hmm. I always just thought, let's let's keep this in house, small, special. If we sell a few, that's great, sort of thing. Let's yeah. let the hobby pay for itself, yeah. right? And something just kind of, I guess, I guess I felt like taking a risk on it, and I thought, yeah, let's let's see what they think. 
was this something that, you know, as you started getting comments back, did it seem like, oh, well, this could take off? Or were you still pretty, not skeptical about it, but not really that you thought too much about it taking off? Well, he, he hit the road with these samples, and pretty much every account that he showed them to, he came back with a purchase order from. Yeah. So once we saw that very early on success, we, we definitely recognized there are a, an enormous amount of landmarks in our area that we could just keep going back to that well mm-hmm. and designing for new products all the time. And Were you getting feedback of people oh, saying yeah. like, oh, what about everybody, this landmark, do this? Everybody has a favorite place. Yeah. And I, I love hearing about people's favorite landmarks. I wish we could design something for everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's become a, a really complicated process actually kind of uh, filtering through a lot of those requests because we, we could get that from a small mom and pop shop and they could have a loyal following and sell hundreds of those shirts right off the bat. Or, or that same request could come down from a large retailer and they don't even need to see the design before writing a purchase order for it. And yeah. so we get, we get a lot of ideas and feedback from all the stores that we um, provide landmark shirts for. But for the most part, we really try to rely on a little bit of a gut feeling and, and a lot of our uh, consumers that we interact with through social media, through our website. We, we kind of let them kind of steer their brand a little bit mm-hmm. as well. And it, it's helpful to get their feedback as well because if we just listen to the retailer, like they have a compelling enough story to where we want to design it every time. <laughs> but sometimes it's not the best and highest use of our time and, and we need to actually think about the end consumer as well. But in general, um, the first three shirts were a success in that, in that first season. We didn't really grow anymore that year. We just wanted to see how well these three sold. And then we started adding a few other shirts to the collection. So we, we added a Pisgah National Forest shirt. Okay which is Tennessee, Western North Carolina, and South Carolina, and North Georgia. It's like all so of... still in this region. It's all in this region, but yeah. now we're hitting multiple states. And any outdoor enthusiast who lives in the Southeast is going to be familiar with Pisgah, and especially somebody who is um, fly fisher, mountain biker, backpacking, all these... Pisgah is such a vast, expansive piece of land, and so wild, and just interesting it's it's the land of waterfalls right and there's these granite balds and the blue ridge mountains run through there and the forest yeah. right and the tallest mountains of the east coast are in pisgah so the intrigue of this place really draws people from all over the southeast and even farther so it was kind of a no-brainer to start designing that. yeah start yeah. designing something for pisgah and that's when we started seeing success on what i wouldn't call a micro local level but like a regional level right mm-hmm. and then seeing the regional collection kind of grow, we started adding things like Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And then again, that's the most visited park in the United States right now, almost two to one to the next park on the list. Mm-hmm. So the the collection continued to build, like pick up speed. And then within, I would say, a year to 18 months of that very first collection, we had concepted the... Um, our entire national park collection, or I would call our entry national park collection. We've added a lot to it every year, but the first assortment of national park tees that we came out with 
was pretty early on because we had the 100-year anniversary of the National Park Service. Oh, yeah. Up, and we wanted to have something in time for the centennial. So how many was in that collection? How many new ones did you add in? I think there were about 12 to 16. So a good chunk. It was a good chunk, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, and of those, had you visited those personally, or, or was it like you said... About two, you hadn't necessarily yeah. been to them, but so so maybe about eight or nine. Okay, you, you know it's this is this is coming into. Um, I've visited a lot of parks, but I, I've backpacked quite a few of the more obscure ones. Mm-hmm. So I had to rule out some of the ones that I personally love and go for something else, like the Grand, <laughs> the Grand Canyon. Right, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I want to go. I'm admittedly saving the Grand Canyon until I can take kids or nephews and okay. or go as a family because I think it's it's going to be a little bit more fun for for a little some, more special yeah, a little yeah, bit overall. more special yeah so there are some parks that I prioritize for myself or for my wife and I to experience in one way and then I think there are some other parks that I want to go back and and explore with a family or 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 friends or something like that so some of those other parks that I hadn't personally visited yet became higher on the design list because they are amongst the most visited parks in America. Mm-hmm. And it would be foolish to not include those in our core collection of national parks. Yeah. So with all this, you're adding this big chunk of, of new landmarks and producing all these new shirts. What is that looking like as far as the company and your team and the amount of employees you have? Are you still printing most everything yourself at this point? Or have you added on new members to the team we are so in 11 years we've gone from just you know one employee myself to 34 and about half of our team is involved in the production and and fulfillment we're one of the only brands right now that owns our own supply chain so or owns i should say part of our own supply chain and that makes you guys pretty special because you're still printing for other orders and other people that are coming in but you have this in-house group of people that work just on the landmark stuff, right? Yeah, it represents about half our business now. Okay. So we have what I would call like a landmark task force okay. under, under Dapper Inc., where we, these people just specialize and focus on the selling and the uh, production and the fulfillment of the landmark brand. And part of, I'm, I'm part of that task force. I'm, I'm also involved in other aspects of the business, but I still get to do the bulk of the design work, which I really still enjoy, and that's that's really where my strength lies. I delegate a lot of the, the sales and the marketing. I, I delegate a lot of the project management, a lot of the other accountability and organizational skills that I, I think I, I thrive better when somebody sets some of that structure up for me mm-hmm. and allows me to really focus on the vision and the direction of the brand, new products, new collections uh, to to introduce with time. And Landmark is growing quickly. We we not only print for ourselves now, but we're also under the Landmark name printing for other brands in the outdoor industry because we've developed a little bit of a reputation for having such excellent uh, graphic tees, not only in design, but in the feel of the material. I'm sure you're wearing the Dracassi shirt, not because you knew you were talking to me today, but... You just like the way it feels, right? I do. It's a it's, it's a, a super soft shirt. Yeah, it's soft. It's comfortable. It's one of the yeah. top three shirts that I wear. And like, we we designed that shirt to be luxuriously soft, yeah. and I think that um, 
one of the things that I like best about us is we don't try to do all that much. We just try to make a really good t-shirt. Yeah. And I feel like if we spread our um, attention too thin over a diverse product line, then the t-shirt might not get so much love, right? It, it could get a little bit less of a priority. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this case, the t-shirt is kind of our bread and butter. So we want to make sure it's the best it can possibly be. But we have some really cool stuff coming out. Right now we're working on spring 2020. It's just at the end of January 2019 right now as we're recording this. So we're working about a year in advance. And uh, in fall 19, all of our collection is going to be organic, or at least starting to be organic cotton and recycled polyester, so 100% sustainable. And by, by 2020, we shouldn't even have uh, the old t-shirt fabric in our line anymore. So like what this one's probably? What that one yeah. is, yeah. Okay. So it'll not only be um, phased out, but it'll be improved on and replaced. So I'm really excited about some of the new things that are coming down the line. So you're talking about like early on, your shirts were made out of something completely different versus what you guys are using now. And your team has grown to 30-something people compared to the handful maybe you had back when the Landmark Project first started. All of that growth and, and that aspect of things, was that just something you were learning on the fly as you were going? How did you manage that growth within the company and fulfilling these orders and mm-hmm. learning about sourcing and all of that stuff? Was it difficult to, to manage and go along with? It was. That was definitely the hardest part of the whole process is just knowing how to grow responsibly. Mm-hmm. And back when we were 12 employees or fewer, we could thrive on simple business practices of as long as you have like a good, a really good work ethic, you want to work hard, you can hustle, and that you're going to contribute to the good vibes, then you could be successful. And then once we passed that threshold, it started getting really complicated, and there was no going back. There was no way to, to, to ungrow the business <laughs> to a more comfortable level of management and accountability. And I like to think of it as kind of giving up on the, the way of doing things as a family and starting to act like a team instead. Okay. And we, we read a lot of books. We talked to a lot of experts. And we grew through a, a couple very uncomfortable ceilings. But what I learned through all this is... Ceilings are normal, and once you get through one of those ceilings, there's another one coming up that you need to start planning for. Hmm. And just, I can't stress enough how helpful it has been to hire people on the Landmark Administrative and Dapper Inc. administrative team that are experts in their field. Yeah. Because... Letting you do what you do best. Right. And then putting someone else in place in areas that you aren't necessarily the greatest. Yeah. Okay. And that's been critical to give us stability while we grow. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we grew very quickly one and two years ago. We doubled in size. And we've, we've kind of dialed back our hiring a little bit so that we can really focus on uh, building an infrastructure and strengthening it and um, keeping the core process of the company really strong and then hiring people as needed. But we, we almost grew faster than we could actually make a product. Mm-hmm. 
And um, that's just, just because I'm a really ambitious person and I have a lot of vision and I have a lot of passion for making things. I've been making things all my life since I was a little kid. I grew up in a kind of a non-video game family, but more of like a help dad in the workshop type family. Yeah. <laughs> like those were my toys. Power tools were my toys and house projects and, and making things outside were kind of how I spent my free time. So I'm, I'm always just, creating. Yeah, something, I'm just, yeah. I'm just wired to create and to innovate and to think. And, um, those are the skills I bring to the table. And when somebody finally came on board to balance that, and kind of help filter a little bit of that creative energy. And, uh, you know, if I had 20 ideas, they would say no to 19 of them, but let that other one good idea kind of pass through and become part of our core process. Then we started to really uh, feel grounded and the business as a whole just began feeling a lot more stable. And, And we could feel like as a team of 34 people, for the first time, we're all paddling in the same direction instead of, just having blind ambition and and good vibes, like I said, mm-hmm. and, and hustle, and all of that being unguided and going everywhere. Do you think that was probably like your biggest hurdle? Like, because I'm assume there's tons of different ways that you could have gone about the landmark project over the years and different things you could have done, but just yeah. streamlining and focusing. Or, yeah. or what would you say is the biggest hurdle that you maybe had to that, face figuring things out? That was it in 2016. Yeah. 2016 was just a tough year overall. We grew a lot and we, for the first time ever, we, we realized that we can't be a, a business that just depends on our cash. Mm-hmm. So we were up until that point. So we had no existing relationships with banks. We had, we had um, no credit. You know, we, we were so just- So you bootstrapped this entire Oh yeah, up, up until 2016, yeah. we paid it for everything with cash. And one purchase order from a large account it, they had ordered more t-shirts than we could physically buy, <laughs> much less pay. Isn't that the dream then? Right, like right, to right. To land a big fish? And- yeah, much, much less pay our employees yeah. to print them and, and uh, distribute them for that retailer. So we, we, this, this purchase order landed like this big fish that you dream of, and you're like, what do I do with this? Do, <laughs> like, of course we're going to say yes and then figure it out later. Yeah. And then never do that again, right? So <laughs> we, we were able to complete it by the skin of our teeth. And that was the beginning of, that was the first ceiling we had to pass through. Mm-hmm. And then we've had one or two more ceilings since then as we've grown, but we've been a lot more smart about it in mm-hmm. that we just, um, we can kind of forecast some of this happening on a little bit more of a seasonal calendar and be prepared for it. And it's not uncommon for us to still kind of be caught not knowing exactly how we're going to pull something off. Yeah. But that's where I really love the teamwork atmosphere that we have at work right now is that people really do trust one another and our leadership team gets to work and does what they do best to execute what may seem like an impossible task at the time. And then before you know it, that those pallets are getting loaded up on a truck a day or two before they have, you know, it's like it, it, it worked a little more put together. Yeah, it yeah. worked. Yeah. So talking about the big fish and, and finally getting that order, is that something that once you did that, you kind of felt like we've made it as like an outdoor industry brand. Was that a, a goal you maybe had, or was there any kind of vision for that, that if we do this, I'll feel like we finally 
made our entrance into the outdoor industry? Like a true artist, I, I kind of have a, like I swing back and forth on that a little bit. Like mm-hmm. for, to one degree, I'm just happy to, like I feel like we've made it back when I did those first three shirts. The first three, yeah. You know, like there was a lot of joy. A lot people of, enjoyed them. People enjoyed yeah. them. Um, the people who enjoyed those places got to receive those products and I got to witness it firsthand. And they related to the graphic on the tee and I thought like, this is awesome. We mm-hmm. made it, you know? And this is just a larger scale. It's, it's the same feeling, there's just more of it. So I think that the end goal was never really about volume for me. It was really more about not faking it and not not necessarily making something generic. Mm-hmm. So I've created kind of a little bit of a monster in that we have <laughs> hundreds of SKUs now. And How many have you made at this point? Oh, I don't know. You don't know? You, yeah, love count. you should have asked me before we started <laughs> so I could, I, could, I could call up somebody who knows. But... You know, they don't even exist as T-shirts alone. Now we, we carry other products as well. And, and some of our best sellers are in the form of a poster or a, an, a little enamel pin or a sticker or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a patch. Because we, we don't consider ourselves a T-shirt company. We consider ourselves a graphic design company. We sell, we sell illustration. We sell the art to somebody. We sell that story to them. And if they identify with that story, they're going to buy a T-shirt. If, they don't, if they're not a T-shirt person, they'll buy a poster. If they're not a poster person, do you see what I mean? It's, yeah. we, really, we really focus in on keep, keep the T-shirt something that just anybody could wear. Yeah, that's your staple. It's our staple. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the, the best quality T-shirts you can get. We, we all wear them. We love them. We don't want to be caught being embarrassed of our own T-shirt quality. But in the end, we want you to really relate to this park. Whether you've been there and you're like, oh, I, I, I remember that point of view. Or those colors really bring back like the, the sensation of being in that park. Or if you've never been to the park and you just are inspired by it. And you say, one of these days, I want to go here because it looks amazing. And when you wear that t-shirt, it's a constant reminder. Mm-hmm. Like, get outside and enjoy it. And and. Keep your hopes up to actually visit this place someday. You can be in support of of a park you've never been to. If, you know, a lot of people say like, "I can't buy that because I've never been there." Yeah, it's like, I, I, you I have couldn't to go disagree and then more. You can collect the shirt, right? As a reward, yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm like, no, you should you should want to go here so bad that yeah. you get the shirt and then go out <laughs> yeah. there and wear the shirt while you're there. Exactly. <laughs> um, so with all the change in the past couple of years, I've seen a lot of collaborations that you guys have done um, with like Chaco uh, and some other companies, and then also some new product lines, uh, like you were mentioning posters and enamel pins, but also the Smoky Bear collection. Is it rolling out this year or this spring, or when did it come out? The Smoky Bear collection came out almost a year ago. Yeah. So we, we started it. 24 months ago or so, talking with the Forest Service to license Smoky Bear images, but to also create artwork, again, kind of what we do best, uh, for Smoky Bear. And that kind of really was confusing to the U.S. Forest Service. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, like, wait, you want to actually make new Smoky Bear art when you could just use all this old art? The existing that hasn't been touched in years. And and we told them, we said, we think that new art is going to be compelling and relevant to a new generation because Smoky Bear hasn't seen, like, 
considerable new artwork since the 60s. If you count the stuff they did in the early 2000s, which um, stylistically is quite different than what we'd ever put on a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the Pixar smoky. Uh, <laughs> if you don't count that, like the 1960s and 70s, it was, it was kind of like when it, it, it feels like at that time, Smokey Bear kind of had like a little bit of a art infusion to tell its story. And then it went dormant for a while mm-hmm. again. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to come in and say like, all right, we can bring a fresh look and honor the timeless tradition to Smokey Bear with some really compelling illustrations. And, and so this was an idea that you had and then took to them? Yes, it's an idea that I had, but I shared the idea with a hiking buddy of mine who's an illustrator. Uh, he, he's worked on projects for Disney and Jim Henson, and it's uh, he and I were on a backpacking trip and had to be diverted from our itinerary because of a wildfire. And it it got us talking, like, this is something that we should consider doing. Yeah. Smokey is a cherished figure in American history. And the what I, I, I could be wrong, but I actually think he is the longest held trademark by the U.S. government that's still active. Really? Yeah. And there's such a beautiful story behind Smokey Bear that we thought, why not? You know, we're a brand that cares about the outdoors and conservation and Smokey Bear, whether you like it or not, has kind of stood up for more than just wildfires. As as an image, Smokey Bear has stood up for just responsibility, yeah. outdoor protecting responsibility, forest, protecting it. the forest. Yeah. yeah. And uh, whereas whereas our agreement with the Forest Service, we, we really focus on the wildfire aspect of things. But I do believe that just having Smokey Bear illustrated on our merchandise is actually, it goes a long way towards just an I like an an idea of conservation overall, and the uh, people have responded great to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year, through our collection of royalties, we were able to raise thirty five thousand dollars for the <laughs> U.S. Forest Service through the Smoky Bear collection. Through Smoky Bear collection, and that's it, it's it's amazing because um, that all goes directly into wildfire prevention education. So the the Smoky Bear office of the US Forest Service is responsible to educate people on what causes wildfires today. Mm-hmm. What caused wildfires in the 60s and even earlier than that in the first in the early 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 days of Smoky Bear 75 years ago is a lot different than what causes wildfires today. We have new equipment, we have new habits. We have new trends, mm-hmm. and we experience the outdoors a lot differently than people did 75 years ago. So re-educating and, and bringing, bringing some of that information to a new era of outdoor enthusiasts is really important to us. Um, nine out of ten wildfires are still caused by humans. So even though they're an important part of the natural cycle of things, so many of them are preventable yeah. and happen in areas that are that are not conducive to wildfires and can be incredibly damaging. And if you look at some of the trends in, in recent history of the last two years, they've been more damaging than ever before. So it's been very important to us that we take the Smoky Bear part of our brand very seriously. I like that because there has been a lot of talk about wildfires and forest fires and how they are actually good for the forest. But it's been long overdue for Smokey to kind of have a facelift and to get some new blood pumped into him as far as the educational side of it. Yeah. And 
for what it's worth, Smokey Bear really hasn't made an appearance in the mainstream outdoor industry. So when you think of Smokey Bear, you think of like a sticker or a whistle or a patch, just little, little tchotchke mm-hmm. that end up being gift items or throwaway items or just items that are easy to lose and things that you would buy at a Cracker Barrel or <laughs> Disneyland where your average outdoor enthusiast isn't necessarily at those places. Those are more tourist destinations. And if you're going to be spending time outside, you know, you're going to your local retailer, you're going to your REI or Cabela's and you're kind of stocking up on your gear. And and that's where the Smokey Bear message needs to be communicated. Yeah. And the, there are real, no, really no other like mainstream brands in the outdoor industry that are emphasizing Smokey Bear, even though this year, 2019, is the 75th birthday of Smokey Bear. Is it? Yeah. So we've actually taken it as a challenge to reintroduce Smokey to mainstream outdoor industry. And so far, we've gotten a couple other brands on board that I can't disclose now, but but some collaborations. There you are did, some right? collaborations yeah. in the works that are we're really excited about, and they. I think that some of the largest players in the brand are going to start being able to share this message. It's a very relevant message, and uh, hearing these voices kind of speak on the same theme together, I think it's what real, real change and real education comes from. That right, it's from all of us focusing on the same topic together, and all of us raising awareness and raising money about something that's we could be pretty passive about. I think it's interesting, like as we've been talking just now, there's been this transition of, okay, well, you know, we started out printing t-shirts. We were doing it just as a hobby, something we liked. Then you started getting interest from other people of it was relatable, like a memory, a place that they've been, something that they enjoy. To now you're saying through Smokey Bear and even the Landmark, you're kind of a platform where it's way beyond just a t-shirt or a place that's kind of a, a movement that people are associated with. Mm-hmm. And I see it on social media with the hashtag MyLandmark that you guys started using. It's from all over the country. I mean, people with their various Landmark Project t-shirts at their favorite landmarks and using that platform to do good in the outdoor industry too. Yeah, so from the very beginning, we described ourselves as a storytelling brand. Mm -hmm. And I know that's trite, right? A lot of people are like, oh, we're storytellers. And (laughs) like I said before, we don't don't describe ourselves as a t-shirt brand intentionally. We're a storytelling brand because when people um, relate to our story, that's when we get the strongest consumer reaction because those people have a sense of ownership to the their landmark right that the hashtag my landmark is is meant to kind of share your sense of ownership to the um the place that you love to go yeah like i've been fortunate enough to travel and see a lot of the world's best mountains but in the end nothing quite moves me as emotionally as the ones that are right here in my backyard which comparably are a little bit underwhelming. Yeah. So I can't explain why those have, are so powerful. Right. That yeah. They're so powerful to me, except that I have a sense of ownership. But here's where it gets cool. It's not just a sense of ownership. It is ownership. Yeah. Right. Because we own our public lands, and when 
we all own these public lands together. I think where the landmark project comes in is we try to remember, or we try to remind people, this is yours, right? Yeah. That's, that's the reason. Like, that's the reason why you're so drawn to this, and that's the reason, reason why you have an emotional connection to it. You're naturally drawn to it. Yes, this is yours, and not only is it yours, but you want to take care of things that belong to you, right? Yeah. So that, that's how Smokey Bear fits in. It's, it's part of reinforcing the idea that take care of what is yours. Yeah. Be responsible. Encourage responsibility with other people. And it's really kind of a, a beautiful way that art, the art that we put on T-shirts, can come full circle and tell not only a story of the place, but it's actually kind of telling your story as a person. Yeah. And um, you need a you need a tissue. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm getting teary out of here, thinking about all of my landmarks. <laughs> um, but how do you see yourself in comparison to other brands out there? Like you're doing collaborations and you're going to trade shows now, and, and you have social media where people are hashtagging your products, and it's kind of marketing for you. Do you still feel like? A smaller company like a smaller brand I do yeah yeah and I feel I think we feel that way because we're a young brand if we've been around a little bit longer 10 15 years and at the size that we are now I might feel like we're a little bit bigger a little bit more established but we have like the energy of a young puppy I'm not a dog person <laughs> but so many of our employees get puppies that and they're just out of control right they're just yeah. they're like they're peeing on stuff and <laughs> Just always barking and just completely unguided and untrained. And I like to think that we're a little bit more trained than a puppy. A puppy. But that's that's what it feels like. I feel like I feel like we have we're really young, we have a lot of energy and we have a lot of ideas and a lot of places and directions we want to grow and grow our influence. And I think that I'm not I'm not ever gonna feel satisfied with where we are. I think there's always going to be something new. Yeah. But I also don't get my personal fulfillment out of satisfaction in, in where the brand's going. So I'm actually more doing this on, on the interest of the company as a whole for the well-being of my employees. And um, personally, if I can just spend more time outside, I'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I can keep creating stay stay outside as frequently as I can. That's that's where I get my personal satisfaction in the brand. So a lot of the vision and the drive behind it is really, you know, it's not to keep up with what other brands are doing. It's not to hit a certain top line of revenue that we're trying to get to. It's it's really just to continue growing our sphere of influence in the outdoor industry for good. Yeah. So you talking about doing what's necessary for the business, but still finding time for yourself to get away, get out into the outdoors. What is it that you do in the off time? Like when you're not in, in the office designing things, are you out fly fishing all the time? Or are you out hiking? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really bad at a lot of things outside. Yeah. Um, I'm not good at just one particular thing, but I do love the diversity of sports you can enjoy. Um, typically if I'm not in the office, I will be, I I do love fly fishing Mm -hmm. and that is something that I'm relatively self-taught. I have a few friends that I go with, but I think the reason why I love that is because unlike an extreme sport like mountain biking 
or trail running, I think that fly fishing uses 100% of my brain space <laughs> in one of the most peaceful, meditative yeah. places you can be. So and it you doesn't... Have to, do you have to designate and set aside that time? Like yes. Like plan for it to I get do. yourself out? I do. Because it, it, it's a little bit of a, a commitment to get to where I'd want to go. Mm-hmm. Just drive time. But it's it's something that I can't I can't mentally multitask while I'm fly fishing. <laughs> so even though my entire brain space is being utilized, I actually cannot think about work. Yeah. And work is exciting. So it's not that I don't want to, but I do need a break from it every now and then. And this is a really good way for me to uh, just kind of push it out of my skull completely and still be outside in a relaxed setting. And even if I don't catch any fish that day, which yeah. is honestly what most days look like, I, I enjoy the meditative uh, process of it. I enjoy the, the experience of, and, and the tactile experience of being in nature and letting kind of the water flow past your flow past your feet and being able to see the fish and and think through their patterns of behavior and and it's it's been a fun challenge to learn um that and just mild exercise just ways to kind of focus on something else and uh enjoy the sights and the smells and the colors of the the changing seasons has been really uh good for me do you feel more clear-headed when you get back in the office after those things i i do and i think it's very important that you know, if you can't spend time outside every week, that you at least take your weekends and keep them, uh, keep them separate from work if you can. It, it's not possible to do that every weekend, especially yeah. when you're a business owner. But uh, in this case, I do really rely on my creative times being separate from some of the business business ownership time. So, I mean, real nitty gritty stuff here. But I spend Mondays and Tuesdays doing business ownership work the boring stuff, the meetings, the forecasting, the planning, the touching base with my team. And then I really set aside Wednesday through Friday as personal creative time where I can work on product design, collections, um, new ways to market something, advertising design, photography. All these things are are kind of set and, and held as end of the week tasks so I get all the, the stuff that might worry me or occupy my brain space throughout the week. I get that out of the way. Get it out of the way. I get it done with Monday and Tuesday. Sometimes it overflows a little <laughs> bit into Wednesday morning. But I, I do try very hard to separate how I use days during the week. And even just if I take a personal day, it'll be on one of my creative days. It'll be something I can look forward to towards the end of the week not something that I get out of the way early on and then jump into the chaotic work atmosphere. Burn yourself out and bog yourself down. Right. And it's a really, it's a really simple mindset that it probably took me 12 months to figure out. But I was going to ask if it was something that you learned over time after burning yourself out too much. It definitely grew out of necessity. Yeah. And I don't know why I didn't figure out earlier. You know, (laughs) I, I think I tried a lot of things. I tried, only checking my email in the morning and then never checking it again during the day. That didn't work. You know, I tried turning off my phone or putting it on do not disturb. That didn't really work either. And, and it was a combination of, of removing my, myself from personal social media 
and separating how I designate day use of my time. And those two things, I think, actually really made uh, me more productive and, and even have a little bit more enjoyment. Um, one, of the, one of the byproducts is I can actually give my complete attention to some of the less sexy things that I do on Monday and Tuesday. Whereas if those, are dis- if those tasks are distributed throughout the week, I might be thinking of that piece of art that I really want to finish yeah. or that design challenge that I left on, you know, at, at a state of like almost complete and <laughs> you're not going to get my best, best mental yeah. energy if you want to sit in a meeting and talk about the budget yeah. mid project. So it really, that separation actually really helps me not just be a better artist and creative and visionary, but it also helps me uh, just better focus my analytical side, knowing that that is what I need to do Mondays and Tuesdays. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned a couple things earlier that I just wanted to touch on and that was giving back like with Smokey Bear, but you also give back through just the regular landmark shirts, right? Yeah. So every shirt, I mean, kind of has a bit of a different story. Yeah. So in general, we give back five to 10% to some charitable organization. Smokey Bear goes right back to the Smokey Bear Fund for mm-hmm. wildfire prevention education. So those specifically go to that? Right. Okay. And any collaboration or collection that we do that's associated with Smokey Bear is going to continue to benefit that fund. By the end of 2019, we are forecasted to give as much as $100,000. That's incredible. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Yeah. And... That's thanks to the support of other key players in the industry. So key players in the industry, but also the people that are buying the shirts. Like, oh, yeah. That's super important to them as well, right? Absolutely. Like, right. And, and in the end, it's really important to think about the consumer as the person who's actually giving, right? Yeah. Because we, we, act, we mark up the product because we still have to make our margin if we're going to stay in business. So we, we see a story that's compelling and we say, we can get a consumer on board. And, and it a little bit comes out of every pocket. So we give a little, the distributor gets a, or gives a little, um, the retailer gives a little, and the consumer gives a little. Mm-hmm. And, and in the end, every Smokey Bear t-shirt ends up giving $3.20 to the U.S. Forest Service. Every Smokey Bear enamel mug it's another $2 to the U.S. Forest Service. So it's really neat to see the, the, the small additions add up to one large number like that. Yeah. And we typically will try to knock out as, as many kind of big chunks at a time of giving as we can with kind of some larger buy-ins with uh, bigger distributors like REI and some of the other brands that we're collaborating with. But the... The accumulation of direct-to-consumer sales that we do also plays a huge role in that. So when you buy something off our website, you're, you're actually one of many people who are contributing to a large part of that the number greater that good. we give. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, the same thing with like the sourcing, right? Uh, like the raw materials for the shirt, and mm-hmm. you're constantly advancing that material and what it's made of. Like They're playing a part in kind of choosing that too. The, the buyer's interested in that sort of thing. They know that it's doing better for the environment and for the parks and everything's going back to the greater good. Yeah. Consumers are so important because 
if, if you're listening, if the consumer is listening to this podcast right now, what you tell the retailers gets back to us. If you want organic teas, if you want a certain national park on a t-shirt, that eventually gets back to us. And, and we take all that feedback very seriously. So serious enough to where enough people have asked the, the, the industry trendsetters that it is now kind of taboo to make anything that's not a sustainable product, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, that challenges everybody. And the rising tide raises all ships. So yeah. now we're all looking, taking a fresh look at our supply chain, all the way back down to the raw materials and saying, how can we make this better? Yeah. What, what cottons can we use? What, what polyesters can we use? How, how can we reduce our shipping costs and our carbon footprint? Do we need to send cotton around the world twice before it gets to us? And it's, it's made us question a lot of things. And whereas a lot of what we're doing is going to make a more expensive product on the, on the back end, for us, we're, we're also finding ways to cut cost so that the consumer doesn't have to bear the consequence of a more sustainably made T-shirt. And it's challenging, but that's the reason why it's taken us about 18 months now to kind of rediscover our supply chain and retool it to be more sustainable and contribute to the greater good. Yeah. I actually recently just read a book uh, on trails. I don't know if you've read it, but there was a line in there that said, um, it was talking about hikers, and it said every person that walks the trail is basically that's them casting a vote for that trail to still exist. And I kind of feel like that correlates with what you're doing as well. It's like the end consumer, every time they purchase a t-shirt, that's them kind of casting a vote for you guys to keep doing what you're doing and other members of this outdoor industry to keep doing what they're doing to help support these landmarks. And uh, so like if they have an interest in this sort of thing. It's all the more reason to invest in the landmark t-shirts or, or yeah. products like that. Cause they're then they have a voice and they're casting their vote. Of course. To keep that going. Yeah. And even if they don't physically say anything, money is the ultimate vote, right? Yeah. Where you spend your money, that's what you vote on. And on trails is a great book. Yeah. Um, and I actually picked up a lot of practical business smarts from reading that book mm-hmm just in how to understand people and understand, you know, to, to think about the paths that we, that we walk, you know, and, and not only are we following a trail, but we're leaving one behind us. Yeah. So all moving in one direction or another and creating, creating a network that we all follow. It's, it was a fantastic read. I'm, I'm interested that you actually read that. (laughs) We'll talk about about that later. Even more to talk about. Yeah. So, well, we've talked about a ton here and we can go ahead and wrap it up, but just wanted to ask one last question was, you know, what's on the horizon for the landmark project? Is it international landmarks? Is it retail locations? Is it collaborations that you can't discuss right now, but are out there? What's what's on the horizon? We've thought of all three. Um, I would love more retail locations. Yeah. Let's make this one work first though, right? (laughs) We opened our first retail location last year and it's been wonderful. It's a great way to, uh, to meet with our consumer face to face. Yeah. And yeah, most of it's online sales and stuff, right? right? Or through wholesale. So they can actually walk into our brand and have a brand experience and get a good cup of coffee talk with our employees and 
throughout this next year, throughout 2019, we're going to have events and trips and new product releases and special uh, flagship store only products. So there's a lot in store for that location. We've talked about international landmarks, but um, no solid plans for that yet. There's still a lot of great stuff in America. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, is there a point where you run out of yeah, landmarks I mean, in America? Yeah, I mean, the See America First, uh, ha- that has never quite gone away for me. I yeah. just, I absolutely love, I, I mean, I, I, could, I don't think I'll ever run out of compelling places to design for here in the U.S. Uh, there are a couple places, though, that I have been that admittedly have my heart, and I would just love to do uh, the, uh, an Italian Alps shirt someday. Yeah. I, I see it in my head. I might do that one just for myself. <laughs> um, exclusive. Right, exclusive, uh, limited edition. The, and, and there's a few others like that. I think the biggest thing for us that if you want to look for change this year is us, is us completely changing the, the garment that we created and improving it to be 100% sustainable and a very transparent supply chain with that story told very clearly on our website. Mm-hmm. That's taking a lot of work. And um, when we finally go public with the entire story, it's going to be really special. And we're going to make a big deal out of it. So keep an eye out for that. That's, that's what I'm probably most excited about because not only will I think we have the best collection of national park art on tees but we will also have the most sustainable t-shirt in the outdoor industry and the best fitting best feeling t-shirt <laughs> you've ever had and my goal on in all of this is to not significantly raise the cost of our product to the end consumer yeah if that wasn't a huge goal for us this whole process would have been a lot easier but trying to again not penalize somebody for wanting organic sustainable t-shirts is is really important to me. Big thing for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everything we've discussed and everything you just listed off as far as what's to come, I think is just validation for your first comment of associating yourself with Half Dome (laughs) and uh, just (laughs) giving everyone even more reason to, even if you've seen the Landmark Project Mm -hmm. stuff before, just to kind of give it another glance back and see what all you guys are doing, maybe from a new perspective or think about some things that are on the horizon and to come. So I really enjoyed talking with you about all this. Um, it was a lot of stuff that I haven't even heard. Yeah. Well, Hey, I, I enjoy our friendship and I enjoy the podcast. Can't wait to, <laughs> can't wait to see what's next for you guys. Yeah. Thanks, well, thanks, for, thanks for coming me. on, man. Well, that's it for this episode of the way out there to learn more about Matt, the landmark project, or where you can snag one of their awesome t-shirts for yourself. Visit thelandmarkproject.com or follow them on Instagram at thelandmarkproject. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of The Way Out There. And if you haven't already, be sure to leave us a comment or hit subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. For notes or links on this episode, you can visit thewayoutthere.com. The Way Out There is a product of Outpost Media and Blue Ion, located in the outdoorsy cities of Charleston and Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks again for listening. Now go do something that's way out there.